Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news relevant to the CDI profession and Actus. I'm Linnea Archibald, the Associate Editorial Director for Actus, and I will be your host for today's show. We have a great show lined up, and I'm going to be joined by a couple members of the Actus team shortly, including Director of Programming Rebecca Hendren, Editor and Product Coordinator Carla Kozak, and Associate Editor Jess Fliegel. Today's show will provide a glimpse behind the scenes of all things Actus in a more casual, conversational format than our other podcast series, and it will also feature an interview with a couple of Actus members involved with our association. Today we have a very special treat for you. We are including a portion of my conversation with members of the Actus CDI Leadership Council about the 2023 CDI salary survey results. On that call, I was joined by Angelica Cage, MBA, BSN, RN, CCDS, CCS, CDIP, who is the CDI Director at Tufts Medicine in Boston, and Joe Freet, RN, CCDS, CCS, who is the inpatient CDI manager at M Health Fairview in Minnesota. Both Angelica and Joe are current members of the Actus Leadership Council, and they are also part of the 2023-2024 Leadership Council Mastermind Group, which is a subset of the Leadership Council. It was a really wonderful conversation, and I hope that you find their insight valuable and helpful as you plan for your professional development this year. Before we jump into the conversation related to the salary survey, just a quick reminder that the Actus podcast continues to offer 0.5 Actus CEUs for the first two days after publication. Those credits can be used towards your CCDS or your CCDSO recertification requirements, and I will share the instructions at the end of today's show, so stay tuned for that. So perhaps unsurprisingly, those in kind of higher managerial or leadership roles do tend to earn higher salaries, of course. However, there's a lot of stratification between job titles and career ladder rungs. So Angelica, to kick off our conversation here, does your program have any sort of career ladder in place? Do you think some sort of stepped program of titles and salaries can help incentivize and engage staff? And then if you don't have a ladder in place, what would be the first step to kind of implementing one? Sure, thank you, Linnea. Happy to answer this question and happy to be one of the panelists today. We do have a career ladder, however, it's being revised at this time, but that career ladder consists of CDS 1, 2, or 3. And we're in the process of revising and revamping that career ladder to ensure that, you know, if you're CDS 1, 2, or 3, ensuring that the job descriptions and those roles and responsibilities are more aligned with the steps in those in that career ladder. Um, and to answer the second part of your question, do you think some sort of step program or title and salaries help incentivize or engage staff? It, it really depends on the team member. Um, you have team members now, they, they're in CDI with various needs. I mean, some people are incentivized by moving up the career ladder, wanting to grow professionally and wanting to advance in their career in a sort of career ladder trajectory, but you have some team members now, they're like, well, I don't want to advance in my career. I like what I'm doing. I would I would love to stay where I am and I'm happy to stay in the seat or the, the ranking that I'm in and just continue to grow my knowledge. So it's really dependent upon the team member. And I would, I really advise 
you know, getting to know your team member on a one-to-one -one level, really understanding what their career trajectories and what their goals and aspirations are. Because if you're, if you're trying to incentivize someone by a CDS3 position or higher salary with that position, then that won't incentivize them because they have no interest in moving up in a you know, um, promotion or career trajectory in that manner. So it varies. I think that's a great, a great point and something that I chatted actually with this past year's mastermind group about is that everybody has a different motivating factor. For some people, it might be promotion and salary for other people frankly it might be flexibility it might be an adjusted work schedule like there's so many different motivating factors that it's it's really not one size fits all Absolutely. so joe do you have anything to add on that do you have a, a career ladder in place or anything like that well first i want to begin by saying thank you for allowing me to be part of this discussion um our institution doesn't currently have a career ladder. Um, one of the problems that we've heard is, is regarding succession planning. And so for our group, um, our institution, for a manager, you have to have three years of supervisor or management experience. And in our current structure, there wasn't a pathway forward for, for CDI to advance to manager. So we are revising our organizational structure to have to go from manager and then implementing a supervisor position underneath. And then we're gonna add some positions for second level reviewers to do those more, more focused and targeted reviews. So we're in the process of creating a career ladder. Awesome, exciting times. Let's move on here to staff members um, and facility and system size. So when it comes to staffing at the facility level, the majority of our respondents have zero to five or six to 10 staff members. And at the system level, level, the largest portion also had zero to five, followed by those who have more than 100 staff members. So pretty drastically different two ends of the spectrum. There is quite a wide range of distribution in there as well. The full report is also going to have a breakdown of the number of beds per facility and system compared to staffing numbers, but I won't dig into that too much today, just in the interest of time. So Angelica, um, I'd love to chat briefly about determining staffing needs. So how do you determine your staffing needs based on kind of the number of beds and discharges and patient population and all of that? Are you looking at those or something else? And then how do you divide the workload by, um, are you doing by facility, by service line or anything like that? And then I know this is like a three-part question as, as my questions always are, but when do you know that it's time to hire more people that you, you're stretched too thin? Yeah, great question. So I would say um, you're determining your staffing needs is based on the number of discharges. That's pretty much standard what I've seen across the industry. I'm sure there are some who may have a different formula for it, but it's based on your number of discharges in terms of how you decide, okay, this is how many CDI specialists I need at this organization because they had this volume for the past year looking at your number of discharges. And then when it comes to dividing the workload, in my leadership style, I believe that all CDSs should be, you know, well-rounded, well-versed in all service lines. I understand some people think, well, we're gonna have, they like to distribute their workload based on service lines and areas of expertise. Well, when I have a CDI specialist, if they've never done neurosurgery cases, 
well, I'm going to take the time to coach that individual team member and give them some training and coaching in neurosurgery so that they can become stronger in the skill set to be comfortable reviewing those cases. Because with you know the changing environment that we're in, it's very hard to have a set number at one facility. You really need to be able to have that leverage so that you can use all your team members to cross cover. If you have many out on PTO from one entity, well, what about the other reviewers? If they're not used to reviewing those types of cases, they're either not gonna feel comfortable or they're not going to want to review those cases and it's not gonna be a great quality of a review. So I believe in training and coaching your staff and giving them the education and tools so that they're real well-rounded to review any entity in all service lines. Yeah, it's that, that flexibility and agility, I think, has become ever more important, especially in a more remote CDI environment where you can do stuff like that. Totally agree. Joe, is there anything you'd like to add there um, about determining staffing needs and all that good stuff? I'm just going to disagree slightly and say that I can see the value of having um, certain service lines reviewed by specialized people who have knowledge. Um, as an example, I will say that um, we used to, uh, where I used to work, we had a couple people who were specialized in spinal surgeries, and they were experts at reading the op reports, and they were able to spot the 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 wording that indicated DRG changing um, things that happened in the operating room, like anterior, posterior, curvature of the spine. Um, that sometimes our coders missed. So there can be value to the service line orientation. See, this is why we like having multiple panelists on because everybody's got a different experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. Let's jump to the remote work piece. Of course, we know that the pandemic drove CDI departments into the remote work environment pretty much across the across the board for better or worse. So according to the survey results this year, nearly 36% said that they work remotely, but review for an organization inside their state of residence, followed by nearly 20% who have a hybrid schedule. So Joe, I'll go to you on this one. First, does your team work remotely? And if so, in what capacity? And do you think that the availability and widespread nature of remote work has changed the recruiting and compensation landscape in CDI? I think it has changed the recruiting compensation landscape, and my team is 100% remote. However, um, most of my staff is local, and that's part of it is because our institution really believes in hiring from within. So we hire, um, as an example, we hire when we have open CDI positions, we hire floor nurses and train them in on how to do CDI. So we train our own, and we don't go outside of the institution to hire new hires normally. There was a time during the COVID epidemic when we were short and we had hired contractors and we do have some of those contractors we hired um, who had CDI experience, which is why we're not 100% local about, have some across the United States. And Angelica, how about you? You know, really being, really opening it up to a remote environment, it creates competition and it, it allows you to be able to recruit that top talent. Yes, like train, you know, as Joe mentioned, they train their own. That's very important um, because we want new and, you know, fresh eyes and new people in this CDI industry. But at the same time, we also need some of those experts in this industry to be able to advance our programs and, and you know, become our top performers in our programs. So while 
you know, it's important that you have the ability to train new professionals. It's also important that you can stay competitive and have an option to recruit the top talent out here, which in this environment, so many of us are remote that, you know, like I said earlier in the call, it's really becoming um, a big game. I mean, it's so competitive now. I don't want to keep reiterating that, but to answer the question, I definitely think remote has um, impacted recruiting and compensation. To me, though, it's, it's done a benefit instead of a detriment. It's really helped our industry expand a lot. Yeah, and I think I I, I would imagine that it's the hardest. The people experiencing the hardest challenge are those who are not offering remote positions who are 100% remote, so that 8.5% there with the competitive nature of the CDI job market, as you've mentioned, Angelica, it I would imagine it is a bit of an uphill climb to find yeah, people yeah. who want the higher percent. You're right. I know we're coming up on time, but really quick, you're absolutely right. And I'll give you experience to put context to it. I just had a phone call maybe three days ago it was with a peer in the industry and she's a manager and she's like, oh my goodness, I cannot recruit anybody. Like they've had all these interviews, they've had well qual highly qualified candidates and they go through the interview process and then they always find out, oh wait, I have to be on site how many days? Because it's a hybrid position. And all of them have declined to move on for, to move forward with an offer. They've even gotten to, I think two, they made an offer on, but when the person learned, I guess it came up later in the conversation, but once they learn, I have to be on site three days out of five, they they did rescinded the offer. They didn't want the position. So they took their name out of the hat and they still have all of those vacancies that they cannot fill. Yeah, it's a really hard place to be, especially if you have kind of organizational pressures to keep that CDI uh, on site presence, it can feel a little daunting. So the largest portion of those working and reviewing in-state records remotely make between 90 and 110. The largest portion of those working remotely and reviewing out-of-state records are a little bit higher. They make between 100 and 120 annually. The other groups also fall into that 90 to 110 category for the most part. So though the majority of our respondents in those groups, except for those who are working remotely and reviewing out-of-state records, fell into the same salary ranges, those actually who work 100% on-site were more likely to fall into the highest range and also the lowest. So there's a, there's a big uh, variety there if folks are working 100% remotely. So along with remote work, um, we also know that it's changed how teams have reviewed records. So in the past, site-specific was much more commonplace, but remote work has made it more feasible for specialists to kind of cross-cover across the system. So just like last year, the majority said that they are reviewing records across multiple sites, and the number of sites respondents wrote in kind of ran the gambit, anywhere from two and all the way up to 300 sites. I will note that those folks who cited up to 300 do work on the outpatient ambulatory side. So um, that makes that number make a little bit more sense, at least for me. We also um, asked people here if they were planning to hire. And when it comes to um, council members, 
about 50% said that their program is planning to hire. And then on the other side for the non-council member um, side, only 38% said the same, but you will notice that the don't know portion was much higher, perhaps because uh, they're not in leadership roles. So they are not privy to some of these conversations that may be kind of early in the process. So I do wanna, um, as we kind of close the formal presentation part of today's call, I'd love to ask you both how leaders can advocate for more staffing and perhaps build a business case for additional positions. So Joe, I'll start with you and then Angelica, if you'd like to jump in, you're welcome to as well. Uh, the biggest thing I think is you need to have numbers. You need to have some firm things to show your leadership and your finance people about you know the value that CD, additional CDI positions would bring in the costs and, and data. I think it's really needed when you're advocating for new positions. Absolutely. And Angelica, is there anything you'd like to add there? No, I 100% agree. Have to have that data and the, the talk to support you know, the value add of CDI. I agree. Thanks so much to Angelica and Joe for sharing your expertise with first the Leadership Council members and now our Actus podcast listeners as well. This was such a helpful conversation, but unfortunately we have run out of time for our episode today. As always, if our audience has any questions about this topic, you can feel free to email the Actus team at info at actus.org. We will also put that email address in today's show notes, which are available on the show page at Actus and in your podcast app so you can grab it from there. Now it is time for the Actus Update, which is a regular segment featuring the latest news on what's going going on inside the association. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I'm joined by a few of my editorial team friends here, Rebecca, Carla, and Jess, for our special New Year's edition of the Actus Update, where it's New Year, New Us, except not really. I think we all know that by now. (laughs) Still the same cheesy Us, but we're glad to be with you. And as always is the case around here at Actus, we are just starting the new year off jumping in with both feet. Uh, We don't slow down at all is really the moral of the story. So we've got lots to tell you about. And the first thing that I wanted to mention today is that we have a brand new edition of the CDI Journal out. The January, February edition is talking about all things professional development, which is really one of our core values here at Actus and one of our favorite topics to discuss. And Jess, I'd love to um, get you to share a little bit about what's included in this edition. Yes, I'd love to. Um, I'd say this edition starts the year out just right, like you said, focusing on professional development and what that looks like in the CDI industry, um, especially as the year starts out, is is a great way to do it. And we do have a whole feature dedicated to just advice on how to progress in your career, as well as plenty of guest contributors that share their professional journey and advice. Um, I wrote an article I really enjoyed that highlights some of the unique specialized roles in CDI departments and beyond. So yeah, there's lots to look forward to. And as a reminder, Actus members can read this edition and take a short quiz that will earn them a CU. So we'd love to uh, have you guys jump in and, and read this edition with us. I think it's going to be a really great edition, Jess, too, because I feel like so many people in all of the professions across across any industry sometimes forget about professional development because you get so right. wrapped up in how busy you are and all of your deadlines and you know doing too much with too little and i think it's just a really important 
to take a breather and remember that you it, your personal development your professional development is important and you know learning and growing in your career is super important so i'm really excited about this issue um and i'm i'm looking forward to reading it and other exciting news for the new year, although I have to say, Linnea, I think it's funny that you talk about us jumping into 2024. I don't know where you've been, but I've been living in 2024 for the past like six months. I mean, same. <laughs> but it is nice that, you know, the year I'm planning for and the year it actually is are the same. It's that nice like three month break before we're thinking about next year. But um I do want to mention that January is an exciting month for us because our call for committee members is now open and will remain open through January 31st. So if you've ever wanted to get involved with Actus, this is the perfect chance. Committees provide a unique way for you to give back to the profession and give back to your CDI community as a whole. So you can use the link in today's show notes to apply to any of our three committees that are being included in our January call for volunteers. So we'll be accepting applications for the Actus Advisory Board, Chapter Advisory Committee, and Resource Library Committee. Rebecca, as someone who's part of the Actus Advisory Board, can you tell us a little bit more about that committee in particular? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The Actus Advisory Board is really the preeminent vehicle that we have to provide guidance and feedback to the association and so that we can as a association, provide that guidance and feedback to the profession as a whole. So its written purview is that we will provide leadership expertise and written guidance. So the uh, position papers that Actus publishes are largely written with the guidance of the Actus Advisory Board. So we meet regularly on specific projects as they come up, um, and members of that group provide a lot of oversight and review of the work that all that Actus does. Um, it's a very fun group to be in. Um, we do we do a lot, and I think people get a lot out of it. It's an exciting year for the board because we actually have a large turnover this year, and that is in large part due to some of the things that happened during the pandemic um, when there wasn't as much going on, and so we actually didn't have um, so as much turnover as we usually do. So we have a bunch of people who are cycling off the board. So this is a great opportunity because there's going to be a big refresh, a lot of new people coming in um, and a lot of new ideas that we can work on. So we are looking in 2024 for one physician candidate, one candidate who has an HIM background, and five candidates who have clinical backgrounds. So that might be RN or somebody who's foreign medically trained, something like that. So a lot of uh, volunteers we're looking for. So please do take the time to, to read about this board and see whether it might be something that you feel it's the time of your career to give back in that way. And we look forward to hearing from you. Now, let me pass it over to Linnea. Yeah. So the the advisory board, like Rebecca said, is sort of our, our preeminent board. It's our governing body here at Actis. But we have a ton of other committees that do really specialized work within the association for the association. And a couple of those are looking for new members this month as well. So the chapter advisory committee is a group of individuals who are past and current chapter leaders from across the country who 
gather together to provide guidance to local chapter and networking group leaders all over the country and a couple international chapters as well, which is thrilling to me. And this group, the primary things that they do is they do provide written guidance. So they help us develop new resources for our chapter leaders. They also uh, join us on a couple panel discussions every year to get in front of the the leaders and network for, for the chapter leaders and networking group leaders to ask questions and to present on topics that are kind of pertinent to their needs. So over the summer last year, we did one on speaker recruitment, which was really valuable, hopefully, and helpful. And we're planning on doing another one here in the next couple of months, and then we'll have another one in the summer. So it's a great way for past and current chapter leaders to kind of give back to that community as well. And then the Resource Library Committee, which is coordinated by um, our other editor, Joshua Raposa, who's not here today, but he coordinates that committee and works with them to make sure that the samples in our resource library on the Actus website are helpful and compliant and useful to the Actus membership. So everything that you will find in the resource library is, for the most part, donated by Actus members. It's people just like you saying, hey, I developed this job description. I worked really hard on it. I think it's really helpful. I think it could be great for other departments to use as well. And sharing it with us at Actus. And then the Resource Library Committee reviews every single submission that comes in to make sure that it is actually helpful and compliant before it gets posted to the Actus website for Actus member use. So that's a really great one. It has a very practical mission. So if you are a person who likes a clear uh, scope of work and clear responsibilities, the Resource Library Committee is a really good fit for you. That group is also extremely fun to be involved with. It's a lot of CDI educators and people who care deeply about sharing information. So if that's you, definitely go ahead and apply for that as well. Regardless of which of these groups you choose to apply to, I just hope that you'll consider throwing your hat in the ring. It's a really great experience and we love to get to know you better in this way. It's allowed us to meet a lot of new Actus members and um, really develop relationships with them on a one-on-one basis. And that is one of our favorite things to do. And then, of course, it's a great way for you to connect and share your knowledge and expertise as well. So definitely throw your hat in the ring. That's going to be that application will be open all month and we'll be posting about it generously. So if you missed it uh, in the first easing of the year that comes out tomorrow, you will have plenty of chances to find that link all over the Actus website. And of course, as usual, we will put it in the show notes today along with everything else we talked about so that you can grab it right from there. And if you've got questions about anything, whether we talked about it today or it's a question that is completely unrelated, you can email us at info at actus.org. That goes to our entire team here and we will personally get back to you. So please feel free to shoot us an email.
As I mentioned at the top of today's episode, each Actus podcast episode offers 0.5 active CEUs, which can be used towards recertifying your CCDS or CCDSO credential for those who listen to the show in the first two days from the time of publication. To receive your 0.5 CEUs, go to the show page on actus.org by clicking on the Actus podcast link under the resources tab and then clicking on today's episode from the list on that page. Then follow the instructions in the show notes for today's episode. Your certificate will be automatically emailed to you upon completion of that brief evaluation. Do note that we have had a lot of reports of folks finding their CEU emails either in their spam folder or that the CEU emails are not reaching them at all. We do highly recommend that you use a personal email address for this form. We recently had an email server migration that changed some uh, spam protocols for a lot of folks and using a personal email should bypass that for you. The cutoff for today's episode CEU is Friday, January 5th at 11 p.m. Eastern. After that point, the CEU period will close and you will no longer be eligible for the 0.5 CEUs for this week's episode, though don't worry too much because we will be back in two weeks and you'll have another opportunity then. If you listen to every episode this calendar year in 2024 and claim all those CEUs, that is going to be 13 free CEUs annually just from the podcast. With that, we have reached the end of today's Actus podcast episode. We will be back in two weeks on Wednesday, January 17th for our next show, which will be part of our Leadership with Linnea series, and it will feature a conversation about denials and appeals. If you would like to receive reminders about each episode, make sure you're subscribed to our free weekly newsletter, CDI Strategies, which always includes a link to the new episode when it's available. You can listen to the show anytime on the Actus website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links that we discussed during today's episode will be available in the show notes. And as always, we would really appreciate it if you would take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app to help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by Dion Key, and our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazzar, both obtained from the free music archive. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please feel free to email us anytime at info at And until next time, happy new year and take care, everyone.